Welcome along to Scoreline Extra, the podcast that tries to condense some of the interviews that you've heard over the weekend on Scoreline, our weekend show from 2 to 6 every Saturday and Sunday, into one nicely packaged piece. On this week's Scoreline Extra, we'll hear from Andy Comerford on O'Loughlin's win over James Stevens, Pat Hoban after Shamrock's two-point victory over Aaron's own. Shane Redman and Stephen O'Mara will speak to us after Tin Ryland's dramatic victory over Air Oak. James Foley post-match audio after Kilbride beat Kildavin in the Carlow Intermediate Championship by a single point. Rory Hurley, the Ballinabrana manager after their defeat to Bagnallstown. And Palatine manager Pat O'Flynn after their powerful performance against Rathvilly. Away from the post-match, we have Kieran Donaghy, the Kerry All-Star, who's speaking to us about the work being carried out at Highview Athletics Pitch. Irish international Hugo Keenan on coming to Kilkenny Rugby Club. Ulster University's Dr Noel Brick speaks to us about the abuse of referees and of course Joe Sheehan on all things Greyhounds. There's only one place to start though and that is with Andy Comerford speaking about O'Loughlin's win over James Stevens. Andy Comerford, manager of O'Loughlin's. Good win for O'Loughlin's but not massively impressive maybe. Listen, you played the town teams is only going to be, you know, yourself puck of the ball and some good, some bad. But sure, listen, it's league game at the end of the day and, you know, that's all we can do is kind of get the ball rolling a bit. We were lucky, a case of us, with shooting the last couple of matches. But no use of excuses, is there? We just get up and gone with it. Yeah, Conor Kelly had a great chance to go hit the post. That would have made it one twelve. You were very comfortable. And then just before half time. Yeah. Village got one two and then Village got a sucker bounce. punch. Yeah, they were on the up at half time and, and uh, like you never have them bet and they showed that near the end they were coming strong. So listen, as I said, derby matches there's not only a puck of the ball in it and we're happy enough, you know, got the two points. Forwards make difference and small light forwards are helpful. I'm not sure that you love small light forwards, but Shawnee Bulger mm. got on the end of a goal. And this he, time of the year, Ronnie, yeah. you know, this is suit them kind yeah. of lads. You have to say it's horses for course. Like this time of the year, the ball is bouncing around and it's travelling fast. What's the story going to be? You know, in six weeks' time, you know, it's going to be a different story. But listen, we'll take it as it is. Two pints and happy enough. Yeah, and you got more of your players back on the field today. Yeah, Owen Wall came back. Owen Wall is back from a long-term kind of an injury. Showed a bit of zip there. Happy enough and. Uh, you know, a few players that weren't, like, some lads, as you know yourself, you take time to wind up, <clears throat> but they're coming a bit now, you know, so... I know you don't like mentioning you know, it, but you're kind of out of trouble now at this stage, relegation. Mm. That was a big game on the quiet. Ah, it is, you know, players, like, pressure's all pressure, you know, when you get down that bottom end of the spectrum, it's all pressure, you know, but sure, listen, it's hard, Ronnie. Good man, Andy, thanks, thanks Rob, very good right? lad. That match formed part of a double header we had here on Scoreline, throwing in at 2 o'clock before we went to the next game, which was Shamrocks and Erin's own. Speaking to us after that game was manager Pat Hoban. Pat Hoban, manager of uh, Ballyhale Shamrocks, escaped. Is that the word you use in Ballyhale or just grounded out of victory again? Look, bit of both, Adrian, I suppose, being realistic. Castlecomer really came at us, played fantastic hurling. They had a plan, they played a sweeper, they were really good with their puck outs. You know, uh, they caught us, and we just had to react to be fair to the guys. They dug it out, dug it out, but for a long time it looked like Comer might get there. You, you give Comer great praise, and rightly so. They had a strategy from their puck outs, the sweeper system, and up front their forwards were, you know, caused you a lot of bother. But at the end of the day, the patience and the panic, Ballyhale Shamrocks don't do panic, do they, these lads? 
No, to be fair, like we've, you know, we've a right mixture of players, a lot of experienced players there, hurling a long time with a lot of young lads, lads only back from America, so we had a right mix. But no, they, you have to admire the way they just kept going and going. A lot of teams might have might have dropped the heads with five to go, three down, but they just kept working away. You talk about the puck outs, that puck out at the end probably cost Castle Comer. They took the shot puck out, Owen Keneally got it in the end of it, gave a great pass to Owen Cody and he put it over the bar. And then, I suppose, he pulled away. But with five minutes to go, they were three points up. Oh yeah, three up and like we we were trying everything. We had, we brought Owen out, brought him in, put Adrian in, Adrian out. We were trying, you know, we brought Derek Corcoran up in the end to the forwards. He got a great point. Ronan Corcoran got a great point at an important time. But yeah, I agree. Owen Keneally just back from America there last week and ended up, I think, scoring three points and was really, really effective. So going to America has a help to some players. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should all go maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to the the table now, obviously Shamrock's now on, on six points. I mean, considering the shortage, who you were short of, who you're down as a as a management and players you know it's nice I know Shamrocks are a great club and a great team but considering the challenges you had it's a great position to be in oh yeah like fantastic obviously look uh, every year you set out you set out to top the group or come in the top two uh, that was absolutely our goal this year the other side of the fence is very very challenging teams in that so we wanted to qualify I think we have qualified now. We should come out in the top two. We have a tough game next weekend against, against Tullerone. They'll be fighting uh, to push on. They had a great win today. I watched them. They were really, really good. So, you know, delighted to be where we are. And uh, obviously the board by this evening will have a better idea of how that affects us going forward. Okay. Well done, Pat Holm. Well done, Thanks Valley. very much, Adrian. Really heating up in the Kilkenny Senior Hurling Championship. All games throwing in a half three on Sunday next week. Speaking of things heating up though, it was round two time in the Carlow Senior Football Championship and Tin Ryland's victory over Air Og really proved value for money. Speaking to scoreline after the game, here's Shane Redmond and Stephen O'Mara. Shane, well done. That was a great performance from Tin Ryland, in particular the second half, but uh, by far everyone feels best team won the match and you won it with a great score by the legend himself, Danny Moore. Danny Moore, yeah. Asher, no better man. At that stage of the match, you know, to have the confidence to take that on and he really, he put the boot through that and the sail over the back spot. It's a great way to win, great way to win a game, you know. We kind of, you know, we obviously went down fairly badly, you know, didn't play well in the first 15 minutes and a bit behind the eight ball after that, but, you know, we really stuck to what we've been working on to be honest we really and we really believe in that we've put a lot of work into it so and that kind of shone through I suppose today that you know we never we never panicked stuck to stuck to what we believe in stuck to what we've been working on and you know just dragged ourselves back into the game starved them a bit, a bit of possession and you know then in the second half I suppose took a couple of chances and uh and then, yeah, left, left it to Danny then at the end. Uh, you got two great scores. You got a good score yourself. You're probably disappointed with one you missed, but yeah. you got opportunities. But uh, uh, things people miss out on in matches. You restricted their rogue to only two scores in that second half. You, you yeah. defensively you were great as a unit. Yeah, I, I was just wondering. I knew that we kind of restricted them um, a fair bit in the second half. All right, I wasn't. I didn't know it was two points, but uh, but yeah, um, do you know? I suppose you know our defensive shape is something again that we've worked on a lot. Um, we, we knew we were frustrating them um, and we knew that you know once we were in the game and we didn't have to go chasing too much you know as it came down the stretch that that would pay off um, Joe we knew where Og were probably under a little bit more pressure coming into it than we were because uh, getting the draw last weekend so um, but yeah you know it's, it's just a great day you know these days don't come around too often we haven't beaten them you know 
few years now. A few years, you know, as a senior player, you know, it's I've probably only beaten them. I, I, that might be only second time in championship that I've beaten them as a senior player. So, um, you know, it's a great, great day, and it's nice. Uh, nice to have the two weeks off now before the Bagginstown game to, you know, just enjoy that and uh, and then knuckle down during the week again. Big game against Bagginstown as well. Um, who, who who won this weekend as well? So um, nothing won yet, but you're in a good won, position. Nothing won yet. So, but you know, we know going into the last game, we're two from two. So you know, one more win, and uh, and we're top of the group and we're straight through to the semi final, yeah. which is probably important this year because it's week on week. Um, do you know the quarter final is the week after the last round of group games, the semi final the week after, and the final the week after. So, do you know, I think if we can get through to a semi, um, you know, we, we, we'd be all, all guns blazing for Bagnestown now. Uh, but it'd be nice to get through to, straight through to a semi and, and give us that week off then to, to prepare for it. Well, listen, well done today, Shane. It's a pleasure to talk to you, as always, on field and off field. Good effort in Rayland, and we look forward to round three in a few weeks' time against Bagnestown. So, well done. Thanks very much, Brendan. Appreciate Good it. Thanks, Shane. Cheers. Good man. Stephen, you have to be happy. You're in a good position now. I know you have a two-week break, but uh, that's when many teams beat here, Rogue and Carlo, but you really done well today. Restricted them to very little scores in the second half, and you had a great work ethic. Pedestrian at times, but the tactic worked. Yeah, well, look, I suppose, and, and I'm not referring to you, but a lot of comments around the county and stuff said about Tinder Island being defensive, like... There's a difference between being defensive and being defensively efficient and being defensively structured. Like maybe some people would like us to open up the Red Sea and invite teams to score. We don't get 15 men behind the ball. We don't get 14 men behind the ball. So, you know, the boys really... And, we, and look, it's 15 months learning. We've made a lot of mistakes trying to get things right. Uh, today, I thought, was really, really good. You know, and in the end of the day, and we talked about pedestrian, with you respect, and I'm not having a go. Like, the game was level there in injury time. Yeah. Aero got 15 men behind the ball in yeah. about half. Like, what are you going to do? Two teams that similar style. What, what are you going to do? Run into it head first and yeah. get turned over. So, look, um, if teams want to come at us man on man, we play the man on man. If teams want to drop off behind the ball, that's fair comment. See the kick out. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. There's no shot clock in Gaelic football. Fair comment. You defended very well in that second half, regardless of winning the match. You restricted them. I said it to Shane, only two points. Great work. Ah, uh, listen, collectively, Superb performance. I think Joe Nadon, you know, probably had a standout, standout, mad market performance at full back. Uh, but the whole team, I thought now, really, really, you know, and, and if we look, we were only really sucker punched on, was say cheap, they were earned by our oh, from our point of view, cheap turnovers in the first half. We're done it, we were, I think we were done for one four on turnovers, uh, all of which I would say were cheap from our point of view, maybe bar one superb uh, press down here on the sideline, which you know was top, top quality. We are, oh, but look, they were pressing us, and we probably let them do it too easy in the first 15 minutes, and it cost us dearly. But you know, to come from one four to a point down, we were in here last year, we were committed to water break, I think it was a two seven to no score, two seven to a point, and you wouldn't be human if it wasn't in the back of your mind. <laughs> Are we going here again? But listen, it was from, from that point on, probably as complete a, a team performance as, as I've ever been involved with at any level of football. Yeah, it was great way to finish, wasn't it? Danny Moore steps up. Danny the man, huh? Ah, listen, you know, in, in, in your wildest dreams, you, you hope to win a game like that. But listen, and I hadn't discussed it with the boys because you're doing so much during the week. The draw obviously would have kept us in control of the group. We go into the last game. That if we won it, we'd know we'd come top. Um, but, you know, I would have settled for the draw there. It looked like Air Ogre were settling for the draw. Uh, and looked just the way it ran. They, they went for the sucker punch, got turned over. Listen, just Danny, the old dog for the hard road, as they say. <laughs> it's not the first one he's kicked like that, but <laughs> I'd say it's the most memorable. Just to let you know, now, before you do hear a criticism back or a comment back, Willie did say at the end when you had the ball, like what you said, no point in opening up the Red Sea. He said, Tin Ryland are playing for the draw, but he weren't. You were holding possession and you got a cracking winner. Well, listen, as I always say, more so when you're winning the game, you know, um, 
if you if you suck team, you know, if you go head first into it, yeah, they're gonna come and get you. It's like when you're losing and teams start going for goals. You start going for goals, the opposition start defending goals. Yeah. You pick off a few points, they have to come out at you. So like they they dropped off initially, then they started pressing a little bit, but look, we we, we got through them ultimately in fairness, they got the ball back and they had their chance to score down here and I can't I think there was, was a turnover made and we went up. But uh, yeah, listen, I'm a practical man, I'd have taken the draw. Something I've said in that dressing room yeah. more times than I like is I counted up the times we played Aero, Pal and Radvili which would be a bookies crystal clear top three according to the bookies anyway and we played seven or eight times and we've lost every game and, you know we were level at Radvili in the league we pushed in injury time we didn't settle for a draw we lost by a point we felt we were in control of a league game with Pal we went completely off our own process after 40 minutes and it was a bit of a shambles to be honest the last 20 minutes you know we came in there one four to a point down after 15 minutes uh, and we just meticulously stuck to the process and you know just just yes superb performance by the boys it has to be light for them well well Stephen a lot of people would be delighted for yourself too because you've mentioned it there you've been through thick and thin the last day I was talking to you said you were going to have a point in the Lord Bagnall and you didn't you might have one tonight I might have one or two <laughs> <laughs> listen well done thanks very much Stephen good man good man thanks a lot Keeping with senior football, here's Rory Hurley, the Ballina Branna manager, after their defeat to Bagnallstown Gales. Rory, a little bit unlucky, I think, last night. You had umpteen chances, but um, wasn't to be for Ballina Branna. Now your backs are to the wall. Yeah, we are backs are to the wall, all right, for most likely in the relegation final now. Um, that's three weeks' time, and we still have the game against their in between, but uh, going back last night, yeah, we did have chances. I think we'd, we scored three scores in the first half from 11 chances is what we had, um, and we had a right good goal chance that could have got us going through Ben Dorgan as well, and that was it. We just didn't take our chances. And then when you did take your chance, uh, you got a great goal through David Cox and you kicked a few nice points. And when you did get opportunities in the second half, they just wouldn't go over. I know Bagnus sounded their fair share of wides also, but Balnebrana played a more attacking style football last night as to the first round. So you really had to go for it and you did. Yeah, in fairness, we did. It's hard, I suppose, the way Tin Ireland had set up the first day. That's, you know, they set up their stall of a lot of lads back. So uh, it's hard to go kind of fast paced that. But Bagnus were very good last night. They left open spaces for us there and we did go at it. As you said, David Cox did get a great goal. He's a great young footballer. If he stays going at senior level, a lot of people around the county will know about him. He's a little, um, he's under the radar there. The minute, he's very, very good, and he got a great goal. Yeah, and we had loads of other chances, and we just unfortunately we just misfired. Same thing actually happened against Bangladeshound uh, in senior championship last year as well. Numbers are good out there. You're working hard with the lads. Just unfortunately, the results are not going away, but going well enough in Ballinabran. A great work ethic from all the lads. I know. In fairness to the boys, yeah, it's brilliant. It's just if you see it. There's a kind of a post-COVID problem there. Even when we were trying to get practice matches against teams from Wicklow and Kildare, that they're all struggling with weddings and stags and everything. And even this lady likes to air oak, like a fantastic club and the numbers they have. And they've lost so many lads, and they've had quality lads to come from the intermediate then to replace them. Well, I suppose for ourselves, we're missing a lot of lads, but you just don't have the numbers in a country club to replace them. But in fairness to them, like with um, the chairman up there, um, Peter, he's doing savage work and they're doing the development up there. Obviously, as you know, at the minute that's going to be done by the end of the year. Playing numbers are in increasing um, and I know it is it's good it's just it's a pity now we didn't get the few more years of senior under the belt um, I suppose that's going to be the real challenge now is to go put in a good performance against the Rogue and we have to go up then into most likely the relegation final and try to stay up senior because I think that's big even looking at an intermediate games over the last couple of weeks and the one this evening I think we're above that standard but we're just not showing 
at senior level that we are a senior club if that makes sense but in the fairness to the club you couldn't fault them there's massive work going on out there and if you look at the facilities and the field and everything it's great Rory best of luck in the next round and uh, thanks for having a word and sorry we didn't get to you speedily after uh, after last night but uh, good to see you here in Netwatch Park man. tonight no. you're busy and we're busy but uh, well done anyway and yeah. we'll talk to you again thanks very much thanks Rory good man you're a gentleman good now and yourself It was a shock on Saturday night after county champions Rathvilly fell to a Paddo Flynn-led Palantine. Here's Paddo now after the game. Paddo, that was a good win. Four points on the board in Carlo and uh, got the goals early and kind of took the game by the scruff of the neck. Uh, yeah, well, like, look, in, in fairness, Brendan, like, we were coming in today, we were playing the county champions and... You know, we wanted to go out and, and lay down a marker, and we got we got a great start. But like in fairness, when you look at the players that were missing for for Rathvilly tonight, like we're under no illusions. If we meet again in the championship, they're going to be a serious serious outfit. As you said, we got the bounce of the ball tonight. How often does the scoreline be three two to one two at half time? Five scores. It's normally five three. You know, six three. So look, yeah. In, in fairness, um, look that 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 tonight was coming from the training field. In fairness to the lads, especially the junior footballers who aren't getting on the field. Here, they're working so hard for us in the field and making it hard to get goals that uh, it paid off tonight. But some nights it doesn't pay off, and that's the night you have to grind out the result. And fairness to Rafferty, they're county champions for a reason, and and I'm sure the next time we meet them, there'll be an almighty backlash from them. Goals are goals, but your four goals were taken with a bit of class. But you can talk about goals and scores, scores with matches, but defensively we're very well set up tonight also. Yeah, like in fairness to, to Horse, like uh, and 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 Moran and the lads, like they, you know, as as a unit and Jason and all the guys. Day, you know the senior players in the club actually, you know, set out the stall and set the tempo and training and put demands in the management and put demands in the group. And in fairness to them, you know, they brought all their experience and class from Carlo senior setups back to the setup. And it's really the players that drive on the whole thing and the concepts and the, the plays. And you know, in fairness to them, it's them that's driving it on. And you know, like they they actually they actually you know set out the stall as such. And I'm just you know I just facilitate it to be honest with you. Okay, there's only two matches played. You have four points. You're in a good position, but you have. To keep these lads grounded so one more round and you could be into a semi-final straight away yeah like you know you, you talk about things at the start of the year and you know for the group here there's an awful lot of young lads playing playing their first year senior football had only played minor had only you know a leaving cert etc a lot of things and in fairness we set out a stall at the start of the year the first target was to get to the league semi-final so we could have a shot at you know one of the big guns whether it's Rafili or Air Oak and Rafili you know put us in our place that night and our next you know, target was to get to the county semi-final and hopefully we still have O'Loughlin to play. They're here neighbours of mine in Muckley. They had a mighty performance here last week against Rathvilly and they're, you know, they're, there's some fine footballers with them. And they're never easy. They're, no, but they're, they're, you know, like over the years, like in Muckley, when we weren't going so well, we would have came down and supported the O'Loughlin men and vice versa, uh, you know, Joe and the lads would come up and help us out in 84 and 85. So there's a lot of friendships there, so there is. Okay, well listen, well done tonight. We look forward to the next round, Paddo. Well done on your good working Palabutra as I said before in the political selection more done and a lot more to do look here's the reality as I said to you last week Brendan who remembers who won what first round games second round games it's all about the end product and look we're under no illusions we need to you know get to a county semi-final and you know that's that's our next target against O'Loughlin is put the head down and go for that ok thanks for having a chat thanks very thanks, much Mara. good man well done thanks From senior now to intermediate, James Foley, who was managing the Mount Leinster Rangers and O'Loughlin game, spoke to us about Kilbride's 
victory over Kildavin in the Carlow Intermediate Championship. James Foley, that was tight. Local derbies and uh, no love lost, I suppose, in 60 minutes out there. But at the end of the day, you all know one another very well. But Kilbride get out by a point. Yeah, Brennan. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, obviously, we're in the same parishes, Kilavin and Clonagall. We're in a few parishes. Kilbride is, is, is uh, being a crossroads team. But uh, yeah, no, i uh, just like to thank all the players there. They're after putting in a massive effort over the ca- last couple of weeks and stuff. And, uh, and our management team at Brendan Butler and... Um, Sean Smith and our manager Colin O'Toole so it was great it was great to win we haven't won nothing yet but it was great to get two wins out of two to be honest you know and just to drive on Yeah because some people wouldn't, wouldn't have classed you as favourites for tonight and I know the local derby thing comes into it Kildavin will be disappointed but you have the bragging rights tonight anyway even though as you said nothing has won James No nothing has won Jesus no no we're only taking one game at a time Brendan so we are but uh, the Blues was, it was a hard fought win last week and then it's another hard fought win here again today so we're only taking it every, every game as it comes and going down and enjoying training a lot of us lads are, are uh, long in the tooth now so we are at this stage a lot of us lads in our 30s and a few in our 40s so we have a blend of youth coming out as well so that's oh, great it's great down there uh we're, we're never we're always the poorly mouth saying about what numbers we have and all but I think everyone in the county knows their position with, with, with being in a crossroads team and a couple of teams up against us but uh, we'll keep fighting our fight down there and uh, we'll keep ourselves quiet and we like going in as the underdog anyway so we do we always do that's well, for, for sure a, for a crossroads team you listed 30 players on the programme tonight which is a major achievement some clubs can't do that so that in itself is a success and to be fair Kildavon Clunigal not too far away from you and they listed 28 players on the programme tonight so all is fairly healthy in that side of the county anyway uh, no it's healthy and, and, and people are enjoying themselves as well it's all about enjoyment and, and uh, the, be- the handiest thing to do it is uh, don't take it too serious either just go out and enjoy it and uh, you don't know what's around the corner every morning so there's people getting sick and people passing away and stuff with cancer and this and that and the other so we- we'll just go and enjoy it and, and uh, throw on the jersey every day and, and fight hard for the jersey and uh, go down and enjoy training during the week and we're, we're, we're a bunch of um, bunch of brothers really going out we're all uh, nearly all connected uh, through relations and stuff like that so no we'll go out and we'll fight hard for each other and we'll play the game and that's what we do and enjoy it Now James on a personal level you're steeped in the wool, died in the wool GA family. Your brother Derek, captain of the Carlow Senior Football Team, he'd be the household name there. Your dad was a former player and one of the biggest supporters Kilbride and Carlow have. Uh, you've turned your hand to refereeing over the last few years and you're involved in refereeing the senior championship this weekend. So, busy times for you and interesting times for you as a GA man. Yeah, I was probably giving out a bit to Brian here and there uh, myself, and I'm sure there'll be lads giving out to me tomorrow as well. But um, no, it's not an easy job to refereeing, but I am thoroughly enjoying it. And I'm really, uh, I'd like to thank the, the two hickeys and Brian Deere and Paul there and anyone that's helped me come along there Johnny Murphy and the lads everyone's a big help there it's a, it's a, it's a tight knit group and we're all and Patrick Murphy there as well obviously I have to name all them but I don't want to be leaving anyone out but um, no it's a tight knit group there with uh, 20 odd referees or 22 or 3 odd referees and we're enjoying it do you know it's great would you be classed as a dual star now you would I'd, yeah a dual star yeah a dual star one, uh, different codes I suppose anyway yeah but um, yeah no no it's great and, and um, I know we're, we're, enjoying, we're enjoying both anyway your, your boots will be hung up long enough anyway Brendan anyway in both codes well, listen, thanks for having a word. Well done tonight. We look forward to seeing you the rest of the Intermediate Championship. And best of luck tomorrow refereeing the Senior Football Championship in Carlow, Tin Ryland and Air Og. I think that's the match around. Hey, no, I'm doing all Lockton and, and Mount Leinster Rangers and Brendan. And yeah, thanks very much. And especially to Casey Lord there as well for all your coverage and stuff down through this championship and the hurling as all as well. It's great there for the locals. Like Carlow's a tight-knit uh, county. So it's just great to have the, the coverage there and all as well. And everyone really, really loves their GA in Carlow. So it's great to have the coverage. So well done to Casey Lord and yourself as well, Brendan. Thanks a million, James. Well, well done. Well. Thank you. Thanks. Stepping away from all the post-match, here's Kieran Donaghy, the Kerry All-Star, speaking to us about the work being carried out on Kilkenny Soccer Club Highview Athletics pitch. (laughs) 
Now in scoreline, I'm joined by former Kerry All-Ireland winner and PSD's Kieran Donnelly as we take a closer look at what they do and the work that they are currently doing for Highview Athletic Football Club here in Kilkenny where a FIFA standard pitch is in the pipeline thanks to PSD. Kieran, thanks very much for joining me today. No hassle, Robbie. Thanks for having us on. Uh, firstly, Kieran, I suppose, can you explain to us the work that PST do? Yeah, I suppose, look, we're kind of going now maybe 10 or 12 years, Robbie, and it's really, you know, trying to division and, and the hope people have in clubs and schools around Ireland is just to get a playing surface that they can play on all year round and that they don't have to worry about stuff being called off or games being cancelled, etc. So it's our job then we see it as to, to try and do the best job for them as possible with the with the kind of budget they have and we'd work very closely with clubs and schools on that um to try and get the best facility they, they possibly can. But that's that's generally what we do and have been doing it successfully now for about twelve years and have branched into the UK in the last four or five and are now starting to get a good uh, stronghold over there as well. So um, going in the right direction, but a lot of hard work from the team here inside in the office in Tralee and over in the UK. And for people that are unsure, it's artificial 4G pitches that you're putting down for clubs, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's 3G and 4G is kind of it's speculative enough to be honest with you. It's um, it, all that type of that that 3G modified grass is kind of is where it's at. 4G is a kind of slightly different product. It's a kind of a mainly essential product that's used in in maybe. Uh, areas of the world where pitches are burnt off the ground more so than what we have up in up in the northern hemisphere which is pitches flooding and pitches being mucky and not being able to train in them so that's where the modified 3g would come in more but people would have a uh, would have a term they'd use 4g or they might read it in the paper and 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 call it that but they're two actual there's slight differences in both products but they are all artificial grass products that go down and uh and they do then to try and allow people to, to train all the time. And is that something you noticed growing up, Kieran, and as you got older also? And I think, you know, anyone that plays sports, particularly field sports, obviously, um, whatever level it may be, would have noticed that, you know, training's being called off for matches. There's nothing more frustrating. Is that something that you notice, and is that kind of why you've done this, to try and tackle that? Because ultimately, to get kids in particular involved, they have to be playing consistently. And as you said, with the weather here in the Northern Hemisphere, that's not always the case without having pitches like these. No, no, especially in Ireland, um, and where we are in the west of Ireland, you get a, you get a lot of rain down down in Kerry. Um, but yeah, look, that's that is a huge a huge factor for me. I'm a footballer mainly, but people that also know that I play a bit of basketball in my spare time, and that's what I always loved about basketball. When I was growing up, it was my number one sport, kind of nearly for that reason. And um, you knew every September when you started the season to the following April that there was never going to be a training called off or there was never going to be a game called off unless you couldn't actually get to the venue with snow or something unforeseen like that. But uh, you always knew that you were going to get your three training sessions and your game at the weekend and and it was a, a sport that was easily, you could easily fall in love with it, whereas you're right. Um, we've all been on GEA pitches and walking around and squishing the boots into the, into the waterlogged pitch and realising it's not going to go or be told you can't train for whatever reason. So, you know, that's why these 3G um, artificial pitches are becoming so popular is because that just that just doesn't happen. It's, it's not a factor. Once you're able to go out in it, uh, you're able to play in it. So it's, um, that's why they're kind of taking off at such a rate. In Ireland, we're kind of playing a bit of catch-up to the UK. They would have been really strong in the UK. All the schools would get built with pitches. 
um, and, and you see in Ireland now, you see some schools, um, especially with principals that would be would be pushing sport in the schools because it's so important for for kids' mental health and their obesity levels and all that kind of stuff that they're trying now to at, at design phase to try and negotiate and try and figure out a way that they that they can get a 3G built inside in their school so that you know we all know the school year starts in September and it finishes in in May and you have October, November, December, January and February, maybe even into March is always kind of wet. So six of the nine months of your school year, your pitch probably isn't playable anyway, which is why you see them going down to so many schools now. Yeah, there is a course one here in Kilkenny in the Gales School Osri, um, an artificial pitch and it is becoming more and more prevalent across the country, as you say. I suppose... 3G artificial pitches historically, maybe not going back too far obviously because they haven't been around for an awful long time as you say in this country, but they would be more associated with soccer clubs like we say you're doing currently doing work and um, with Highview Athletic here in Greg Namana in Kilkenny, but is it also becoming more and more predominant do you think in GA and rugby and other field sports because they have now realised that really, you know, obviously the surface has to be playable for matches or trains to go ahead? Yeah, no, it is... It's you know I suppose FIFA were always a kind of um, a sporting body that realised that they would have had huge volumes of numbers that wanted to play their game, but obviously didn't have the facilities, and especially during the wet months of the year, couldn't keep pitches playable for the amount of players that want to play uh, football over in the UK, and we call it soccer more here, and and that that would have been a big thing, like you know would have been a a big thing by FIFA they would have allowed full internationals go on artificial pitches somewhat like the NFL have been doing for years in the States and that's a really that's a high voltage game in terms of change in direction and that kind of stuff and and hack stadiums in, in the US for American football would be synthetic surfaces so it's something that's starting to come with the design and, and, and how much the grass have improved over the years to the where they are today which is a really efficient and, and realistic playing surface and a safe playing surface um, so them advances have kind of now allowed you know we've Munster Rugby Stadium done in Musgrave Park uh, in Clark or Irish Independent Park sorry uh, formerly known as Musgrave Park and we put that in there and they went from something like 18 games in 2018 to 130 and the year after just had a huge rise and have been able to play school games been able to play Ladies games, ladies internationals, under twenties internationals, all going on in our pitch for Munster Rugby. So uh, once World Rugby kind of, you know, and you see the air dome that's above in Connacht and the GEA Centre of Excellence now, for example, and you know, uh we full size pitches done above in Tyrrelltown in Dublin, we've one done for St. Vincent's GEA Club in Dublin and more and more of their games are going ahead now and them. So you know, especially with the air dome, there was inter county games going on inside in that air dome last year. So, you know, the best athletes we have in the country are, are, are playing on these surfaces. The Munster senior team obviously uses for uh the whatever it's called now, the the Pro twelve or whatever name they have on that that cup now that they play their games inside there as well. So it's 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 you know, it's becoming more and more uh, possible for people to build these pitches and there's great funding out there from from people, you know, government bodies, sports capital put a huge amount in in their last uh, run of funding. So, you know, there's there's ways and means to get these pitches built. It, it often takes goodwill from the community and people are working really hard, like you see blowing high view to get these jobs done, but they are becoming more prevalent in all field sports really. 
Yeah, and two things you mentioned there, goodwill from the community and grants. That's how Highview are getting this pitch. But the key thing that I noticed when I was researching um, ahead of this interview, Kieran, was this is going to be a FIFA standard pitch and it's going to be of incredibly high quality, as high as it comes, really. Is that what differentiates PST to other people maybe in this field or other companies in this field? The fact that the actual quality of the service, because we've all played on artificial surfaces that are just, you know, are there for the sake of it, really, that games can go ahead more than anything, but the quality is very poor. But like you say in Irish Independent Park down in Cork in the Air Dome um, in the west of Ireland up in Connacht you know the, the actual standard of them it's almost like playing on grass except the fact that obviously there's not going to be as much damage if if it's bad weather if there is bad weather rather yeah no it's it's the technology has definitely come along we're, we're very lucky to be with a company called CC Grass who manufacture the artificial grass that we lay uh, in Ireland and the UK and um they're on the FA framework, for example. I think there's five or six companies on that listing. Um, they're one of four companies in the world that are uh, a FIFA preferred producer, which means kind of FIFA inspect their laboratories and and where the carpet is produced, and you know sign off on it, and then obviously follow up when the pitches get their FIFA certs. They go and check the final product when it's down in the ground and. They they have that FIFA preferred uh, uh, producer's license, but they're also on the FIH and the World Rugby. So there's only four companies in the world that make this kind of grass that's on all three lists. And we just uh, consider ourselves lucky to be working with a company like CC Grass. And then obviously it's it's down to the workmanship of our team. I suppose what people might know about these pitches, they walk onto them and they see the lovely grass and the lovely finish and the, the nice soft bouncy kind of surface. But Underneath that, there's Trojan work done by our own guys and our own teams that work with us in terms of, you know, like you would have seen, you mightn't have seen uh, Highview now, but that was a lovely grass pitch before that. So that was stripping, you know, 300 mil of topsoil off the whole pitch, taking that away, bringing in, putting in drains, putting in geotextile uh, underneath them, putting in uh, a foot of stone on top of the pitch, putting in your fencing posts, your curbing, your fencing panels, your netting. And then you get to the surface, which is obviously there might be a shock pad sometimes used on pitches. FIFA pitches don't require it, but some clubs will put it in. Uh, and obviously then in World Rugby, uh, there is a shock pad required um, to, to, to pass the World Rugby tests. And so that's the little finish that you kind of see on top, but there's a huge amount of work that actually goes into the ground. And, you know, we pride ourselves on how we build the pitches in PST and, and in particular the bases of the pitches because that's the most important part. That's the bit that's going to stand the test of time. That's the bit when you're going to take your carpet up and whenever you're going to take it up years and years down the road, if you're going to lift up your carpet, you want to get to the base and just be able to put down a new carpet and not have your base all over the place. So that's the, that'd be the real thing that we we pride ourselves on is, is, is delivering a really good base for the client so that their future works are, are really based around just putting in the carpet again. And just, we've spoken a lot about PST and uh, rightfully so, but just obviously you're a major sporting personality um, since the turn of the century, really one of the biggest with your um, at your time in Kerry, at the, obviously winning all Irons in 07, 09 and 14, starring in all three of them, I must say. Um, what is your role in PST, Kieran, more so than the actual company itself? What do you do um, for, for PST? Yeah, I'm, I'm sales director of the company now. Um, I would have started seven years ago, the managing director, Colin Tehan, would have approached me. Uh, I actually did a talk for his team on kind of teamwork and, and working together to try and achieve a visual goal. Colin was very driven on getting this business off the ground. At that time, it was his dad was out working on the pitches. He was in the office. His wife was the accountant, and I was there. So there were four of us. 
Um, so it was, it, it was, it was quite. We were working closely together. We were really working to to, to drive the business on. They'd been doing a great job until I got there, and my role initially was business development manager and getting out and making calls to people and following up on grants and stuff that people were doing and just being a, a voice that people can call to when they're at the early stages and they want a bit of direction on how to go about it to to, to try and talk them through that and uh, so yeah seven seven years doing that and uh, we made sales director there to start this year so just really kind of looking after the the general sales in Ireland in terms of pitches we've got a crew of guys in the UK that do our our, our pitches over in the UK, we do an awful lot of work with non-league clubs over there, so they're stadium pitches. Um, we have a product that has a 12-year warranty that we, that it, that's uh, kind of normally the eight-year warranty comes with these carpets, and it's always kind of eight years where we've produced a, a carpet with a slightly stronger monofilament fibre uh, that's made of a different polyurethane pellet that actually lasts 12 years. Um, so that's very popular in the UK and with a lot of the full-size pitches we do in Ireland, people wanting to get the extra time out of their carpet in terms of warranty, uh, uh, we choose that product. So, you know, it's it's gone, you know, we've we've nearly 22 or 23 in the office here now, actually. we've a, an unbelievable team, we've five or six people that price the jobs for us, we've uh, operations director, Owen Quigley, really strong, Shane looks after the, uh, Shane Brosnan, um, looks after the, the commercial team and then you have all the guys out in sight that, that do all the real hard work that uh, make us and make the company look good in the end with, with really good finished products so um, it, it's it's those fellas that, that would do the majority of the hard work I'd be just kind of trying to get as many leads and get in front of as many people as, as I can to try and show them the product we have bring them the pictures that we've built and hopefully get the business on, on, on the back of their their talks and, and with, with former clients that we may have had would win us a lot of business as well. Well, I could talk to you all day about it, but I am very conscious that you've been very kind um, with your time today, Kieran. So I'm going to let you go and say thanks very much for speaking to me today. No hassle, Robbie. Okay, be safe. Thanks very much. That was, of course, former All-Ireland winner with Kerry, Kieran Donnie. He's also sales director with PST, who are putting down a FIFA standard 3G artificial pitch in Highview Athletic Football Club here in Kilkenny in Greg Namana. Lots more still to come on score. Taking with a Kilkenny theme, we go to the Kilkenny Rugby Club, where we caught up with Irish international Hugo Keenan about Leinster's open training sessions. Now on Scoreline, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Leinster and Ireland's Hugo Keenan as we look ahead to Friday when Leinster will be doing their pre-season training in Kilkenny Rugby Club from 10.30 to 12.30pm. Hugo, thanks very much for talking to me today. No worries at all, Robbie. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem, Hugo. It is great to chat to you, I must say. Hugo, first of all, I suppose, that training on Friday, you are doing bits and bobs throughout the summer touring for pre-season training. How enjoyable is that as a player to get around to different places? Because, of course, you will be stuck in Dublin for large parts of the season. But to see the other areas where rugby is such a hot spot in the province. Exactly. It's a great chance to, I suppose, get out and uh, visit a few of our... Uh, uh, rugby fan sites and pitches and uh, get involved in uh, communities uh, because we've sort of been restricted with COVID in the last couple of years. So uh, it's the first sort of open session we've had uh, in, a, in a good few years. So we're actually doing a 12 county tour uh, on Thursday and Friday. And um, our, our pit stop in Kilkenny is an open training session. So that'll be definitely one of the highlights. 
definitely be a highlight for rugby supporters in the county as well i suppose for for the for the province leinster itself and for rugby in in leinster it's important that you get to see you know the best of the best in different counties but for players is is it as enjoyable maybe to get around to other places to see kind of the smiles that you bring to children's faces in particular but fans also that have been supporting you for years upon end to kind of give back a little bit to them i suppose definitely to show our appreciation for uh, their loyal support and uh, we know there's a great uh, following down in Kilkenny and other parts of uh, Leinster, which we haven't gotten down to recently. So to engage with the fans, um, I think we'll be doing a signing session with uh, the kids after, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully it'll be a good day out, and uh, those those days are really enjoyable. And I suppose it'll be a squad building session as well, um, traveling around. I think we're staying in Port Leash uh, Thursday night. And um, yeah, it'll be a great trip. Yeah, and one great trip, of course, um, was the one to New Zealand where you came back with a historic serious victory, winning the final two tests to win 2 1 against the All Blacks. Um, how special was that as a player to be involved in something that was, as I said, truly historic and, and unprecedented, in, not just in Irish rugby, but in Irish sport? Yeah, it was an incredible experience. Um, I suppose it's no tougher place to go at the moment uh, than New Zealand. Um, I suppose it's. Uh, they're the standard bearers of rugby and uh, often ones we try and uh, base our game off. So to firstly get the opportunity to go down there and compete in a three-game tour was uh, brilliant. Uh, I've never been away with Ireland uh, for a tour like that before personally. So um, And then to, to win and make a bit of history down there was uh, was incredibly special as well. And I think there was a great following uh, back home here and Hopefully we've inspired a few uh, young lads along the way to um, to pick up the rugby ball and uh, continue it over the next couple of years to grow the sport. Yeah, I think inspiring is the perfect word to assess that whole tour. Just one thing that I wanted to pick up on, Hugo, because obviously there was... You know, as I said, historic is the word to use also. There was that victory in the second test against New Zealand, everyone back home, and I'm sure yourselves were ecstatic with it being the first side um, in a green jersey to win on on New Zealand territory. How important was it, and how did the coach and staff, I suppose, more so, bring you down from that high to go on to the third test and win? Because that was the, the thing that really caught my eye, that the fact that you could come down from such a high and go again on the third test and deservedly wrap up, as I said, an incredible test victory. Yeah, I suppose that was the challenge, wasn't it? I think we were all thrilled after um, the second game, getting our first win over there. But um, the coaches challenged us to uh, to win the series, and ultimately that was the reason we we were over there. Um, I think if you want to compete in the World Cup next September, and um, to really uh, push yourselves and uh, to get far in the World Cup, you've got to be winning back-to-back games. So. I suppose it was a great learning in that regard. Um, and then also winning one game, I suppose, it's great and all, but um, when you win one game and lose a series, it's really not quite the same, is it? So I think we uh, certainly weren't on our high horses after the first win. We were all pretty motivated to, to back that up, make sure it wasn't just a fluke, and to um, actually earn a bit of history and make uh, something special out of the tour. 
And you mentioned there the World Cup, of course. All eyes will be on that um, around this time next year in October, I think, of 2023. That will be going ahead in France. Ireland will be there looking to make a semi-final for the first time in the country's history. Is that something that you've spoken about even this far out? Because the team seems to be building quite steadily, which maybe has been the one criticism of Irish uh, rugby teams in the past, the fact that they peaked too early. But this team is constantly built under Andy Farrell, and it looks like it's hitting the right kind of frame of mind and looking really good on the pitch ahead of, you know, the biggest tournament of them all. Yeah, I suppose Andy Farrell and the coaching squad in uh, in Ireland are great at sort of shaping our each of our campaigns and each of our, I suppose, series, whether it's summer or um, autumn series, based around sort of a World Cup mindset and preparing us ultimately to peak in uh, September 23, because that's, that's the big goal for us to... A, get to a semi-final and then once you get into a semi-final you never know what's going to happen um, we always have ambitions to, to go one further as well so um, it's something that's mentioned odd time but it's small small steps to get there and uh, worrying about the, the, the next series or the next group of games is, is always the focus for the group and just for yourself on an individual basis, Hugo, you mentioned there was your first time away with Ireland on that tour of New Zealand. How much have you enjoyed it? Because I know you made your debut um, against Italy. You actually scored two tries in that game in the Six Nations, a 50 points to 17 victory over the Italians. But how much have you enjoyed being part of this Irish squad? And almost now that we've come out on the other side of COVID too, that you get to see the, the supporters and the joy that you bring to their faces. Yeah, 100%. I suppose I uh, made my debut um, in that Italy game in a in an empty stadium, my family weren't there. There were no supporters, so I think I played the first twelve games um, in an empty stadium. So by the time I suppose the restrictions had eased, um, I was lucky enough to still staying in the team, and I got to um, then finally experience um, the support of my family um, and the whole nation in the stadium with us. So I really got to appreciate it. Um, so I've been lucky enough to to experience a full Aviva and a few full stadiums along the way and once you get a taste taste of it you just really want to keep on going and uh, keep on playing for Ireland and going back to Leinster now obviously the pre-season training session it will be held in Kilkenny on Friday but pre-season of course isn't just to be out with the fans it's a really important time um, to kind of set a foundation in place for the season I'm sure going forward how have you kind of assessed pre-season to date and what are the team's goals and your own individual goals into the new season? Because, of course, on the back end of this season will be the World Cup that we spoke about. Yeah, definitely. So I suppose for me, I'm carrying a bit of an injury at the moment. So I'm getting my body right. Um, we've been working on a lot of, um, I suppose, the learnings we had from the finals uh, last year, which didn't go our way. We were very disappointed with how the, the Bulls game went um, and, and the La Rochelle game. So... We're highly motivated in there to, I suppose, make sure that we can go a, a one or two steps further this year and, and get a bit of silverware. Um, so pre-season been tough, but um, I suppose it's, uh, they, they work you hard, get your fitness up, and I think that will be shown uh, with a tough session uh, on Friday now in Kilkenny. Personally, I'm uh, really looking forward to it as well because I have a lot of family down in Kilkenny myself, my mum's from there so my cousins and uh, uncles and aunts are still based down in Piltown um, so uh, I'm actually going to be there on Saturday as well uh, I'm going to stay down in Kilkenny and attend the Ivert show 
my uh, uncle's chairman down there, so I'll be opening up the, the Iverk show on uh, Saturday as well at half 11, if any of your listeners are, are interested in going to that as well. Yeah, we'll be live there with the Saturday show from 10 to 12 on Saturday, of course, scoreline starting at 2pm, so this interview will come out a little bit later after that for anyone that's tuning in currently, but as you said there, you will be attending the iVerk show. What is exactly that you'll be doing there, um, Hugo? And have you been there previously? Because you mentioned, obviously, you do have family in Pilltown. Yeah, so I've uh, been there a good few times. I used to go down as a young lad. Um, I suppose it was always at the back end of the summer. You'd be on your holidays. I'd be visiting my cousins and stuff. And um, my family's always been involved in, in the iVerk show. My granddad was chairman years back. So um, I'm looking forward to getting down there. And I've... Luckily enough, been uh, given the honour of opening the show, so I'll be uh, saying a few words, doing a bit of a Q and A down there, and um, doing a bit of a signing session with the kids um, as well. So hopefully, we get a good crowd. Yeah, hopefully you do get a good crowd. And thanks very, very much for speaking to me today, Hugo. And we wish you nothing but the best of luck with the pre-season trainings coming up and the season ahead. And hopefully, you have success in the Leinster jersey and an Ireland jersey also. Brilliant. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Perfect. That was Leinster and Ireland fullback Hugo Keenan speaking to me here on Scoreline. He is, of course, as he mentioned, opening the Iverk show, a show that you can hear live with Edward Hayden from 10 to 12 on Saturday morning. Lots more still to come on Scoreline, so stick around. Here at Scoreline, we love trying to find different ways to come at sport, and this is certainly one of those. We caught up with Ulster University's Dr. Noel Brick, who recently published a study on the abuse of referees within GAA. Welcome along to Scoreline. It is myself, Shane O'Keefe. Now, I'm joined on the line by Dr. Noel Brick, a lecturer in sport and exercise psychology at Ulster University. Now, Dr. Brick's new study talks about the correlation between mental health difficulties and the abuse of referees. It's recently caught headlines with the study noting how 94.29% of the 438 referees surveyed have experienced verbal abuse, with an alarming 23.6% reporting physical abuse. Firstly, Dr. Brick, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. Hi Shane, um, th- thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure and uh, thanks for, for having us on to discuss this study. We've spoke to many different referees uh, on the Carlos side of things. We talked to Pat Murphy, who's talking about the constant struggle to try and get referees involved with GEA. On our Clash Act podcast, we've spoke with the likes of Derek Goff and Brian Gavin, all Ireland referees and themselves, and they talk about the difficulties within the industry. But can you tell us why you decided to research this topic? Yeah, so so I suppose for a number of reasons, Shane. So um, just to give a bit of background to myself. So as you mentioned, I'm a sports psychologist uh, based at Ulster University, although I'm a Kerry man originally, but, but I'm based in uh, Ulster. Um, and with my colleagues, we, we've done some research in the past on, on mental health and sport, mostly with athletes and coaches. Um, but, but one of the things that came out from, from some of that research was just a lack of work that's been done with referees. Um, so, for example, interventions to, to support the mental health of referees. Um, and then alongside that, it's just, you know, a, a real lack of research that's been done on what referees uh, experience in terms of abuse, etc., in their role. So 
we decided to do that study, and I suppose from our own background, we're all kind of involved in in the GA, etc. Um, we 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 and, and this sort of research has never been done in a GA context before. All those similar studies have been done in in soccer, etc. So. So we decided just to, about two years ago, um, distribute a survey through the GA National Referees Coordinator to uh, all registered referees. Um, and, and as you kind of mentioned there at the start of the program, um, one of the things that we sort of surveyed was just their experience of verbal abuse, um, of physical abuse in their role. And, and then we also asked them questions about how that impacted them in terms of, of their mental health, their well-being, um, and then also their intentions to, to leave refereeing because of, of some of the things that they experienced. Um, and I suppose, as you mentioned as well, some, some of the headline figures are just the, the prevalence of abuse, and um, about 94% um, had experienced verbal abuse in their career, 23% um, had experienced some form of physical abuse. So, so quite high figures and quite, I suppose, worrying figures that, that came back initially um, from that phase of the survey. Looking at the 94.29% of the 438 referees that were surveyed, my initial shock was that it wasn't 100%, which is obviously the wrong kind of sentiment that I should have because I've been on GAA fields and I've never been at a match where a referee hasn't experienced some type of question of their skills or some type of abuse in some ways. So like the 5.71% initially was like, oh, I would have thought 100%, which is an indictment really on how people perceive soccer referees or indeed as this study shows GEA referees yeah look I suppose the, the figure was probably pretty similar to what has been found in other sports um, soccer done with uh, sorry a survey done with English soccer referees a few, a few years ago and it was around about the same about 95-96% or so had experienced um, verbal abuse in that study so so pretty similar figures and I suppose you know maybe, maybe for others it's, it's how they perceive and how they interpret maybe some of the things that might be be said to them as uh, you know part of the game or, or whatever. But, but but that figure was certainly high and, and I think higher than than what we'd want to to, to have in any game. Um, and just as, as, as an aside, I suppose the physical abuse figure um, not not as high, not the highest that's been found in any particular sports. Um, I think the highest has been uh, a study that was done with Canadian uh, ice hockey officials. Um, but but actually higher than that study I mentioned with with English soccer referees there it was about 19% had experienced physical abuse uh, and a similar study with, with Dutch and French um, referees they reported about 15 16% had experienced physical abuse so so that that figure is quite concerning um, and I suppose higher than what we would see in in sort of maybe similar sports over here. The GEA is obviously struggling with the issue. I alluded to Pat Murphy speaking about getting referees within the Carlo League. How important do you feel studies like this are to have data to back up what is clearly a bit of a cultural problem within sport in general? You're right. I, th- I think it is within sport in general. Um, and I, I think a figure from um, uh, an Oireachtas committee report that was published back in June uh, one of the figures that they, and, and that report was on elimination of abuse um, in match officials, but also players, coaches and sport. But one of the, one of the sort of headline figures from the FAI in that um, report was that within two years of their initial beginner training, they estimated that about 60% of their newly qualified referees leave the sport. Uh, and I think that just highlights the problem that, um, you know, with, with so many referees leaving early in their career and, and it's, it's sort of finding in our study that less experienced and younger referees 
tended to experience more abuse. Uh, so, so with so many referees leading the sport um, within two years of, of qualification, it sort of maybe just highlights a couple of things. One is, you know, the, the, the trend and the direction of travel is that with fewer and fewer game, uh, referees in the game, having referees and having enough referees for the games will become harder and harder. Um, and I suppose, you know, that. You know, the simple thing to say about that is no referees, no games, and, and that's certainly something that none of us would want. Um, so, and, and I suppose the second thing just to say about that is, while there are many reasons maybe why a referee might choose to, to leave the game, and maybe personal reasons, etc., um, abuse is certainly one of the main reasons, and I suppose anything that we can do to, to reduce abuse, to eliminate abuse, which would be the ideal goal, uh, and also just to support our referees in, in any way possible. Um, I think those are some of the things that we can do to hopefully change that trend and, and change that direction of travel. The nature of the the data is is purely just to show you the numbers as opposed to causing a solution and the solu- or coming up with a solution and the solution then can be found by the powers that be. But has there has there been talk now due to this that of coming up with a solution I found the stark contrast when I swapped from soccer to rugby just a, a big thing to comprehend when you're having to call the referee by sir or you have to completely respect his decision is is there anything like that that you know of within the fold to try and help the the abuse that the referees suffer yeah, I suppose I can really I can only speak at the minute in terms of what we might recommend from from our findings and you know similar studies as well. A lot of the recommendations are quite similar, and I know the GA are being very certainly proactive in, in, in trying to trying to first of all raise awareness about this, and I think that's one of the key things is you know being aware from our study certainly of the impact of abuse on uh, referees themselves, and, and I suppose just. To sort of add to that, what we one of the key findings in our study was that what referees experience in terms of um, let's say the frequency of verbal abuse has a direct impact on uh, their mental health, so their well-being, their levels of anxiety, their depression, and also their intentions to, to leave their role, and also the distress caused by both verbal and physical abuse also again had an impact on their anxiety, their levels of depression, um, lower well-being, and again stronger intentions to quit their role. So I think from an educational point of view, it's it's very important to be aware that, you know, what we might just see in a game as, as you know, a supporter or a manager letting off steam or being frustrated at a referee, maybe in terms of how they perceive a decision. Um, actually, you know, that verbal abuse and, and obviously the physical abuse as well can have a much long-term impact on, on a referee's uh, intentions to stay in sport, but also on their on their mental health as well. So, so that education piece and being aware of that impact is is, is I think something that's really important. Uh, I think other things that we can do to support our referees. Um, I think one thing that's quite important is that uh, there's appropriate sanctions for perpetrators of abuse, both verbal and and physical. Um, I think just in terms of supporting referees further strategies to manage distress and, uh, and, and to, to maintain their own mental health and their well-being is, is extremely important and that might range from you know self-management strategies to you know manage their own well-being but also just even being aware of, of the longer-term mental health impact and having psychological support for referees I think that's hugely important too so look I suppose there's a whole range of, of kind of support that we can include for referees beginning with their training, beginning with strategies that they can implement on the pitch, 
uh, with strategies that they can help to maintain their 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 own mental health, etc. But I think you know the the biggest picture of all and, and the biggest strategy of all is that we work towards reducing and eliminating that bu- abuse in, in the first place. Um, and I think education certainly is one step that's that's key to that. And education is something that David Goff brought up when we spoke to him as well. And he came at it from the sense that how many people know the rules inside out that are the ones that are shouting from the sidelines, say fans, be it coaches or anything like that. The David Goff said most of the stuff that he would have experienced would be from people just not being aware of either certain rule changes or the the whole rule book within the GEA and where their decisions stem from. He believes that'll be helpful. But also from the kind of higher calibre of referees that are refereeing in big matches, the criticism that was received via the Sunday game maybe of a referee performance he believes that has a ripple effect throughout the whole GEA community and that could be somewhere where people can focus their attention on and maybe curbing that behaviour a small bit Absolutely yeah I think we uh, excuse me um I, th- I think go back to, to the education point first of all. So we know um, again from, from from other research in this area that one of the reasons why verbal abuse can start is is really that it's the interpretation of the rules and not understanding fully maybe why why a decision has been made by a referee and and, and so education around that and understanding those rules is, is hugely important. Um, and the reason why I kind of you know say verbal abuse can start at that reason or start for, for, for that reason is that we also know that what can start as verbal abuse um, can escalate to, to physical abuse in a game as well. Uh, and one of the things that we found in, in our um, survey, we, we also asked the referees who'd experienced both verbal and, and physical abuse, uh, who they mostly, what group or who they mostly experienced it from. And, and what was quite interesting in that was that verbal abuse predominantly came from in order coaches, managers first, then spectators, then players. Um, so I would fully endorse what, what um, David was saying about that education piece because for coaches and, and managers to be fully educated on the rules of the game and then also obviously spectators as well, it, it's hugely important to maybe begin to reduce that, that verbal abuse. Interestingly, physical abuse in order was players, then spectators, and then coaches and, and, and managers. Uh, and two, I think, important things to say about that. One is maybe the reason why players would be highest on that list is because of their proximity to a referee in the game. The closer you are, the more likely, um, I guess, physical abuse could happen. Um, but, but for me, it all really sort of boils down to understanding how the verbal abuse can start because, again, physical abuse can escalate from there. So, yeah, that, that education piece is, is hugely important. Um, and, and also, I think, again, going back to a point I made earlier, that there's appropriate sanctions in place as well. That, that you know, if it's spectators, if it's coaches, if it's players at the highest level, these are sometimes some of the things that are raised in, in the likes of the Sunday game. Um, I think there's a responsibility there to to educate people about maybe decisions that are made. Um, but I also think there's a responsibility there that if if abuse happens at that higher level, um, that there's appropriate modelling there. Um, and by that I mean that that it's it, it's clearly shown that that's something that that we don't want in our game, that shouldn't be in our game. Um, and, and that modelling hopefully filters down to, to lower levels where we know um, actually most of, of verbal abuse and physical abuse tends to happen. Well, Dr. It's been fascinating getting to talk to you about it and now and I'm conscious of taking up so much of your time. If people want to read this data for themselves, where can they find it? Yeah, so I suppose um, I've... One probably one of the easiest places maybe is, is, is just on Twitter. So um, on my Twitter account, which is uh, Noel 
Bricky, N-O-E-L-B-R-I-C-K-I-E. You'll see links on there to, to that study. So that's maybe um, one one of the easiest places to, to find it. Um, if, you, if you also just Google, um, the title of the study was The Impact of Verbal and Physical Abuse on Distress, Mental Health and Intentions to Quit in Sports Officials. So if, if, if you just were to search for that, you could come across the study as well. And we'll put it up on scoreline.ie throughout the week. Uh, Dr. Noel Brick, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us on what's a very interesting topic and one we'll continue to explore on Scoreline. Thank you, Shane. That was Dr. Noel Brick there. Stick around on Scoreline. Lots more still to come. And finally, there's no show without a Joe show. Yes, Joe Sheehan runs down everything that happened in the Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium Friday night. What a majestic night it was in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium last night for the O'Loughlin Gales fundraiser. And we had a crowd that was absolutely massive. Fantastic to see on a glorious evening. Huge, huge crowd. The betting ring was a hive of activity. Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium was a hive of activity. And wonderful to see a fantastic fundraiser for O'Loughlin Gales. They had a magnificent night so well done to them we had a brilliant card in Kilkenny Ground Stadium last night and of course we had the final of the puppy race the Caesars takeaway novice 5 to 5 final and we have seen an absolute superstar in Kilkenny Ground Stadium in the form of Blackstone Lacey for owner trainer Patrick Sinnott winning in 28.65 and he looks very, very special indeed. So well done to Paddy Sinnott and all connections of Blackstone Lacey, winner of the Caesars Takeaway Novice 5 to 5 final. Elsewhere on the card, we had all sponsored races. Race 11, the John Joe Cullen Pork Butcher was won by Fortunate Duo. A time of 28.90, staying on strongly. Very, very nice performance indeed to take the lucky last race of the night. The Pat Carroll Wine Lodge Barn Lounge went to Violet's Hill, winning in 28.95, showing good early pace and trapped to line winner of that one. A cracking card, as you said, in Kilkenny Grounds last night and well done to O'Loughlin Gales for running a very very successful fundraiser and get in touch with Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium for any company charity or organisation it's a fantastic way of making money for very worthy causes indeed and Tom Kinnan manager of Kilkenny will be more than glad to accommodate you in any way shape or form he can so well done to all involved in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium last night. Elsewhere, up in Dublin, we have the Irish Greyhound Derby second round taking place tonight. We had the continuation of round, the beginning of round two, should I say, last night in Shelburne Park with plenty of local interest. And we've seen the majestic Beach Avenue in action in the second round, first heat last night. Finishing third for Paul Hennessy. And his team and the Healy family staying on ever so strongly. He's been a wonderful servant, winning over €30,000 in his career to date. And he marches on to the third round of the Boyle Sports Irish Greyhound Derby. So well done to Connections of Beach Avenue. They have kept him in his prime for so long. It's been a magnificent journey with him indeed. 
So well done to all involved there. We've seen some really nice performances last night. Kulaveni Hoffa won in 29-13, coming within two lengths of the track record for 24-year-old Mark O'Donovan and his father training. And that one, a real team effort there. So well done to them. And this Kulaveni Hoffa went straight into favourite for this year's Boyle Sports Irish Greyhound Derby on the back of that performance last night. So it looks a real nice prospect. So well done to the O'Donovan family there. Fantastic performance. The English Greyhound Derby winner, Romeo Magico, was in action last night. He won in 29.54, taking the fourth heat. Very nice performance indeed. In the fifth heat, Mustang Jet came out on top for trainer Dolores Ruth, winning in 29.72. There was only six hundredths of a second between first and fifth in that race. A head, a neck, a neck and a head or the winning distances between second and fifth. So that will go to show you how tight these margins are in these top-class races. Kilgraney, Sydney, for the buggy family of Bagnallstown County Carlow, was unlucky not to qualify, finishing fourth, only beaten by Nick. Two hundredths of a second separating him and a qualifying spot for the third round. That will just show you how tight these margins are. In the sixth heat, Troopy's nice one finished in second for the Lahey family and marches on to the third round a very nice performance indeed finishing strongly in Droopy's nice one marches on with a big reputation to the third round so best to look to the Lahey family with that one Priceless Jet finished in second in the seventh heat for the Hennessy family and marches on to the next round as well Priceless Jet has been a magnificent servant for Paul Hennessy and connections of course he broke the track record in the English Greyhound Derby earlier on this year and after a number of years campaigning he is at his best. So wonderful to see Priceless Jet running so well last night. Tonight we have the continuation of the second round. Eight heats to look forward to in total of the Boyle Sports Irish Greyhound Derby second round tonight. And lots of local interest in this one. Hello Hammond runs in the first race which is heat nine for Paul Hennessy. And Connections Kildare runs from trap five for Peter Cronin. And in trap four in the same race, Paul Hennessy's Barefoot Supremo goes from the Black Jacket. So best to look to locally connected greyhounds in that one. They have a big, big hand to play in Heat 9 tonight. In the second race, which is Heat 10, stories cash out. Of course, for Gavin O'Mahony and the Lahey family. And All About Ted runs from the stripes of trap six for Willie Rigney and, of course, Peter Cronin who is coming from Moon Coin, County Kilkenny. So best of luck to them. In the third race, the bold Freddy runs for Peter Cronin as well and all about Henny for Moon Coin trainer Peter Cronin, who has two in that race. So best of luck to them in that one. In the fourth race, which is Heat 12, we have Stories Peewee for the Lahi Kennel, Rahamofo in Trap 4 for the Lahi Kennel as well. Kilgraney Clang runs from Trap 6. The stripes of track six, of course, for the buggy family. So best of luck to them in the fourth race in Shelburne Park tonight, of course. All bidding to take the honours in the Boyle Sports Irish Greyhound Derby. The most prestigious competition of the year in Ireland. So best of luck to them in the sixth race. We have trap four going from the Black Jacket Ireland Zone for the McLean Avenue Syndicate and the Lahey Kennel. So best to look to them. In the seventh race, Droopy's Gloss runs from Trap 3 for the Lahey team. And Dex Guinness runs for Peter Cronin of Mooncoin from the stripes of Trap 6. And last but not least, in the eighth race, which is Heat 16. Strong local hand here in the form of Kumoka running from the White Jacket of Trap 3. 
and in trap five, Connemara. Both of these dogs are running for Carl Ramsbottom, who runs most of his greyhounds in our local Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium. He's coming from Tim Leash, but a strong supporter of Kilkenny Track. So best of luck to all locally connected greyhounds involved in the second round of the Boyle Sports Irish Greyhound Derby. Massive, massive prize money on offer, folks, this year. €125,000 for the winner, €266,000 prize fund in total. It's huge, it's massive, and you can catch all the action on the Barking Buzz app and follow it all on Talking Dogs on the Greyhound Racing Ireland website. Best of luck to all locally connected greyhounds in the second round of this year's Boyle Sports Irish Greyhound Derby. That's about my lot. We'll be back next weekend on Scoreline from 2 to 6, Saturday and Sunday. I've been Shane O'Keefe. Remember, stay safe, stay sane, and that, you, are sound out. <laughs>